Oh, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's so good to see those of you here, and, and so good to have so many of you joining us online. And uh, as a church, it's such a, uh, such a privilege, right, that we get to, to be together and, and to worship. And we, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. We started last year, way back in the fall, and, and we're nearing the end. Uh, but, but specifically, these last three weeks, we've been in this section in Ephesians, the end of chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 6, where we've been talking about uh, relationships. And, and Paul, in his letter, was giving instructions about relationships, and specifically this whole idea of submitting to one another in relationships and, and how that's the foundation, right? So as Christians, the way that we engage with one another, that, that this idea of, of submission should be in, in the middle of all of it. And we talked about husbands and wives and parents and children. And this weekend, we're, we're talking about work. And so we're talking about employers and employees, and, and really, this, what we've been camped out on these last three weeks in talking about relationships really is just carrying this whole theme that's been going through the whole book of Ephesians, right? That, that, that Jesus brings about a complete change in every aspect of our lives, right? Our faith doesn't just apply Sunday mornings. Our faith doesn't just apply when we're like praying or like reading our Bibles or a Bible studies, but our, our faith affects everything. Right, that everything should be under the authority of the gospel. All of our relationships, our marriages, our families, our work. And so as we come to the, this passage, just it's four verses today as we talk about this idea of, of relationships and work. And so let me read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And Paul writes, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since they know, since you know that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So as we look at, at this passage and we look at this, before we can really get into these verses and really the instructions that, that Paul's kind of laying out, this is what uh, Christian relationships at work should look like, there's these two big fundamental questions that we have to deal with. All right, there's these two questions that kind of like, undergird are going to just kind of mess with everything else if we don't talk about them first. So uh, we, we've got to talk about these. We, we, here's the promise this morning as we talk about these two giant topics. I'm going to skim over them, all right? Because both of these topics, these, are, these, are, these could be series that we go through and spend a bunch of time on because they're these big topics. But in order to really get into to the heart of what we're, we're talking about this morning in this passage from Ephesians, we have to at least address them. So that's what this is going to be. So maybe for you as we're talking about these and kind of skimming over these two big topics, uh, maybe this is a moment where you're like, oh, this is really interesting. This is something that, that intrigues me. Or maybe the Holy Spirit's kind of like tapping on you and you're like, you know what, maybe this week is an opportunity for you just to dig into God's Word and do some, some more study on these. Okay, because again, these are, these are some, some big things, but... I promise to skim. So, all right, so the first big question, the fundamental question that, that we have to address when we're looking at this passage is this. Does the Bible endorse slavery? 
Right? right off the bat, slaves, obey your earthly masters. And, and, and this is one of those topics that you see all throughout the Bible, right? You, talk, you see slavery throughout the Bible. You see instructions in dealing with slavery. So does the Bible endorse slavery? And the answer is a clear no. And there's this whole thing that throughout history, lots of people have taken God's word and they've used it to defend sinful behavior. And they've used the Bible and they've used Bible passages and they've tried to use those to defend their way of doing things that are outside of God's will. And we've seen that in our own history, right? Lots of people who use the Bible to defend bad choices they were doing and defend slavery in the way it was done in America. So oftentimes as we read Scripture, we have to remember that the, the, that the Bible is oftentimes descriptive, not prescriptive. The Bible's, in parts of the Bible are narratives where it's telling you, here's what happened. Not this is how you should do things. Okay? And we see that a lot of times in the Old Testament, we see uh, God's people living things out, and you see the stories, and you see them making horrible choices. And, we, and oftentimes the Bible doesn't even come out and say it was a horrible choice. It just shows you the results of their choices. And it's up to us to recognize that, hey, that was probably a bad choice. And so we have to keep that in mind that a lot of the stuff as we're reading through, we have to recognize is what we're reading. Is this just describing what's happening or is this just telling us how we're to live? And other passages like the one we have today, it's telling us the instructions that we see in Ephesians 6 are instructions for us in how to live within a sinful fallen world. And so the Bible in this passage isn't telling us, hey, slavery is good, do it. It's saying, hey, within this system that is in the world, here's how you as followers of Jesus should live. And so context matters. We have to know the context of what we're reading. Right? And, and not only that, is this a prescriptive or descriptive text, or is this telling us how we should live within a fallen world? We also have to understand the context of its writing. Right? Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, which was under Roman rule. And this letter was written directly to a church that existed hundreds of years before the slave trade in Africa, and slavery as we understand it came into being. And so we have to recognize that as we're understanding these words, as we're reading the scripture, we can't just take our understanding of the world as it is today and assume that that's what the writers were writing about. Right? Because under, in the Roman Empire, slavery looked very differently than the way it did in America. Right? The horrors of slavery in America were very different than slavery. Not to say that slavery was good or that everything was great under the Roman rule. There's lots of horrible things under the Roman Empire. Right? But slavery in that time period was, was a common means of, of doing life. Right? There weren't banks. You couldn't declare bankruptcy. You enslaved yourself to someone else for a period of time. Right? Slavery was a very different aspect. It was much more in line today with a lot of manual labor or even like household work. And it was, so it was a very different system. Uh, Don Carson, who's the, the founder of the Gospel Coalition, he, he writes it this way. He says, please understand me. I'm not trying to romanticize slavery in any way. However, in Roman times, there were menial laborers who were slaves, and there were also others who were the equivalent of distinguished PhDs who were teaching families. And there was no association of a particular race with slavery. 
In American slavery, though, all blacks and only blacks were slaves. That was one of the peculiar horrors of it. And it generated an unfair sense of black inferiority that many of us continue to fight to this day. And so again, as we look at this, this is one of those things, as we come to this passage, we have to at least address this. And again, this is the, the quick skim over this topic. Right? And if you want to uh, dig in more, there's lots of other passages. In, in his letter to the church in Galatia, Paul wrote as he was talking about in Christ, our identity in Christ, there is no, neither Jew nor Greek nor slave or free. All of these uh, things that we've set up within our world, they're gone as we're equal in Christ. And in fact, just this week, Pastor Matt wrote a blog on, on the very topic of slavery. So if you haven't seen it, you can go uh, on our website and you can look at that, or there's a link on Facebook. Uh, but we really encourage you, this, this is just one of those, those huge topics that we wrestle with, right? Because slavery, as we understand in our culture, it, it, it paints this horrible picture that, that contain our understanding of Scripture. All right, so the second big topic, right? We're going nice and quick through these huge topics. The second thing is we, we talk about this idea of work and how Christians were to, to exist and live within the workplace. There's this question. Uh, isn't work just a result of the curse? Right, God created everything. Everything was good. Adam and, and Eve sinned. And then God's like, as part of the, their punishment, is like, work is going to be really hard. Right? So work is just a result of the curse. And much like the, the first question, the answer is, is a very simple No. God created work. God made us work. God created, God was active in creation. He worked to create all of heaven and earth. God created. He made us in his image. We, like God, are, are creative beings with gifts, talents, and abilities. We were made to work. God gave Adam and Eve a job. All of that before sin even entered the world. And so work isn't a punishment. Work isn't a result of sin. It's not a part of the curse. It's simply that, that sin and the curse have tainted work. Work has become wearisome. It's become enslaving. It's become meaningless. Work has been hijacked and used for evil, right? That's the whole, that's how we got to point topic one, right? In slavery, Right? I don't, I've got work to do. I don't want to do it. I'm going to enslave somebody else to do my work for me. Right? And so, so all these things about work have been tainted because of sin, but work in and of itself is not a part of the curse. And not only that, another thing that we have to keep in mind as we're trying to understand this idea that we're going to get to today is that, that all work is sacred. You see, we have this really nasty habit in our culture of like, we, we compartmentalize stuff, right? There's the sacred things like going to church, right? You logged on this morning, you're part of the church service, that's a sacred time. Or we're here in the building, it's sacred. And when I read my Bible, I pray, those are sacred times. And then everything else is not sacred. So pretty much all work and family, all that stuff's not. Right? But that's not what God teaches us. Right? All of our work, all of what we do is, is sacred because of what God created us to do, right? He created work. He gave us all our talents, our abilities, our skills, and our passion to use. And when we use them, we use them for His glory and for our good. And so being a pastor 
or working at a church or working in like a Christian company, uh, th those jobs, that work is no more sacred than things that maybe in our culture we kind of call like important or valuable jobs like being a first responder or a teacher or, you know, those are, those are good jobs, right, because they help people. And then there's just like the menial jobs that, that they're, they're not sacred, they're not good, they're just like necessarily you're an accountant, right, or, or maybe you're a custodian or maybe you're a student uh, or a stay-at-home mom. Those jobs are over here. And, and we've, we've, we've created this whole value system that, that's completely false, Because all work is sacred. God created us for work. He's given us, uh, he's given us work to do. And as we do it, we're, we're glorifying him. So it doesn't matter what you do. It's sacred. And it's good. And so work's not a part of the curse, not a result of the curse. Work is what we were made to do. And so it doesn't matter if you're designing a bridge doesn't matter if you're teaching kids or you're working on a cure for a disease or you're studying for a degree or you're changing diapers or stocking shelves or driving a truck. Whatever you are doing, those are sacred jobs and your work matters to God. All right, so again, there's the cliff notes. Those are the two, those are two huge, huge topics. I think we can spend a lot of time is understanding how our work and what our work is, what it means to be created in the image of God and, and have purpose. Right? That's a to huge topic and, and slavery. Like two huge topics, but those two things form the foundation for the rest of us. Because as we talk about what it means for us as Christians to engage in the workplace as employees, as employers, and what it should look like, our relationship should look like, it, it's under this understanding that what we do matters to God. All right, so again, if you, if you like to, you can go and, and do some more study on those and do some reading because there's, really, there's some really cool stuff as we understand God's design and God's purpose for us. But now we can actually get back to our topic for today. All right, so if you remember Ephesians chapter 6, 5 through 9, we want to really look at what is this passage that we're looking at as, as we've been looking at relationships. What does this really teach us about work? And what employer-employee relationship should be all about. And so we, I, I'm just going to read through those verses again, those four, four verses, because I think it helps. We get, we've got to hear them again and understand what it is that God is calling us to. So starting in verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. You see, as we read this passage, as we read these instructions, as we read this, this letter from Paul, we're reminded that everything has to be changed by the gospel. Every part of our life has to be changed by the gospel. And if you remember back as we started this, this little section in Ephesians 5, 18, the instruction was, 
the under, whole understanding of submission is this, that we have to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Or Ephesians 5.18 is a, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? That whole passage is the key to understanding all of this. We have to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We have to be Holy Spirit drunk. Right? We have to allow Him to have control of everything. Of our thoughts, of our actions, of our words, of our behaviors. Have to come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The gospel has to change every part of our life. And so really, this passage that we've read is really just showing us what a Holy Spirit-filled Christian should look like at work. If we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, this is, what, this is what people at work should think of you. This is how people should see you. All right, and so again, before we go into this and, and start to look at the specifics, here's the disclaimer, the reminder for all of you, and really for me. This isn't a checklist of the goals that you need to set for yourself at work. If you want to be a good Christian, make sure you do these things at work. That's not what this is. Right? This isn't the, the list of rules of how a good Christian should obey in the workplace. Right? That's not how the Christian life works. This isn't the set of rules, start to measure up, say, oh, I'm not doing good on this one, I'm going to work on this one, I need to do better there, I'm not doing that, right? No, that's not what we do as Christians. As Christians, we live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so really, this passage that Paul's writing isn't, here's what you need to aim for, it's, if you are living under the influence of the Holy Spirit, this is you. This defines your life. And so if this doesn't define your life, then the problem isn't work harder and fix this area. It's surrender. Because this is the Holy Spirit, not you. And so this topic of relationships work, this isn't just like a, Paul hit it once in Ephesians. This, this is all throughout the New Testament. Paul and Peter, they write to the churches because it's this understanding, of, as the gospel takes hold of me, as I've surrendered my life to Jesus and allow him to have charge and my life starts to be changed, these are the ways that it should start to look in the way that I relate to other people. And so Paul writes about it in, in Titus chapter 2 and Colossians 3, Peter and 1 Peter chapter 2. And so we see over and over in Scripture these different ideas about what it means for Christians to live in relationships with others at work. And so what does a spirit in filled employee look like? I think as we read through that, there's three things that that clearly pop out that should define you as in your relationships at work, as you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, these things should become apparent. The first one, Holy Spirit-filled employees are obedient. Holy Spirit-filled Christians at work are obedient. And they do what they're told. And that like fights against so many things within us, right? Like, I don't like, well, what if, what if my boss is dumb? Right? Like, what, what, what about all these things? What if I don't want to do that? Holy Spirit-filled employees are obedient. Because Spirit-filled employees understand that they're not the boss. God has put authority in place over you. And Holy Spirit-filled employees recognize, as we see here in Ephesians, that we obey their masters like we would obey Christ. 
So the same reverence and the same obedience that we would put if Christ was in charge of us, that's what we're to give our, our earthly masters. Right? That's what we should give to our employers, our bosses, our supervisors. We should give them that same respect because we understand that they're in authority over us because God put them in authority over us. And why? Because we bring honor to God. We glorify Him and we submit to the authority over us. Not just when we feel like it. Not when we just think it's a good idea, but in all things. With the one exception as if they were asked to do something outside of God's law. I'm going to be obedient to my employer until they tell me to do something that is wrong. But in all else, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to work hard and, and do what is right because it brings glory to God. And I recognize that he is the one who's put authority over me. The second thing, a spirit-filled employee is genuine and honest. And again, this really gets to our attitude at work, right? That our attitude, and, and we've all seen it, right? There's lots of times where we've done what we were told to do with a horrible attitude. Right? And, and a spirit-filled employee, that's not true. A spirit-filled employee has a, a, a correct attitude, a genuine attitude, and an honest, right? Ephesians puts it this way, not to win favor, but to honor Christ. That what we do at work, as we work, as we're obedient, as we do what we're told, we do it to honor Christ. That's our motivation. That's our drive. And you see, honesty and, and being genuine, they really matter. Right? Because people, people can spot a fake. Right? And you, people can spot it when you're just working hard when people are watching. <clears throat> or people can spot it when, when you're just working hard when the boss sees or you're just doing the things that are noticeable so that, that you build up your own status. A spirit-filled employee works hard in everything and always. And they work as gen with a genuine attitude and are honest in what they do. You see, in, in, in our culture, we, 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 we care about value, right? A lot of us are always looking for great deals. We want to get the most for our money. We want to, we want to, we want to get, get a good value, get great worth out of what we get. With spirit-filled employees, our goal should be that very same thing for our employers, our bosses, that they're getting the absolute best deal. Right? Because we work in order to accomplish what, what's been asked of us, and we want to do it in a way, in, we want to be obedient, we want to do the best, but we should really be giving them the best value possible. It almost should be one of those things that, that if an employer gets a spirit-filled employee, to work for them, then they've hit the jackpot, right? This is the best deal possible because they've got somebody who understands that they're working and doing their absolute best because they're working for Christ. And the third thing, spirit-filled employees serve wholeheartedly. And this just, I think, wraps it up. Why? Why? It's because they recognize why they work and what, who they work for. But spirit-filled employees do their absolute best and work to the best of their ability because they recognize they are working for Christ. 
Colossians 3.23 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. We recognize that the work we do, it's, it's not necessarily for our, our, our boss or whoever we're working for. It's, it's for Christ. I do everything I can for the glory of Christ, whatever it is. Whatever that task is, if I'm a student, I am studying hard and working my best because it glorifies God. If I'm a ma, stay-at-home mom, I'm caring for my kids and all the, the joys of that job. It's because I'm doing it for Christ. If I'm an architect, I'm designing buildings, bridges, whatever it is. I'm, I'm doing it to the best of my ability because as I do it, it glorifies God. And so spirit-filled employees serve wholeheartedly. So as we think about that, that those things, as, as a spirit-filled employee, those, those, all of the fruit of the Spirit should be evident in our lives at work. In the way that we deal with our employees, other employees and with our bosses, that the way that we engage with other people, all of the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5 should be evident because we're allowing the Holy Spirit to take over. And so it should be noticeable. Do your employers and coworkers know that you are a follower of Jesus? Do they know you're a Christian? And if the answer is yes, is the way that you live bringing glory to the name of Christ? Or is it raising a whole bunch of question marks? <coughs> And if the answer is no, would they be surprised if someone came and told them? Or would their response be like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Right? How is your life? How are your relationships at work? How are they, are they under the influence of the Holy Spirit? The flip side of that is, is that, that Paul also writes instructions for employers. And there's two responsibilities as a Christian employer, as someone who God has put in authority over others, whether it's as a supervisor, as owner, or whatever your role is, if you are in a position of authority, how is the Holy Spirit affecting the way that you do things? I think there's just there's there's two clear things from this passage. The first one is that Holy Spirit-filled employers are just and fair. That masters are to treat those who work for them the way they want to be treated. Right? That's part of this whole idea of being a follower of Jesus, that we, we treat other people that same way. In his instructions to the church in Colossae, in Colossians 4.1, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. The instruction is that, that we treat people, we give them fair wages, we, we create a place that they can work, that, that they're treated well and respected and honored in the same way that we would want to be. Right, and again, this is one of those areas where sin has just come in and, and messed with things, right? And we see it as, as because in our own selfishness, well, one of the ways that, that I, I can make myself advance is if I don't treat the people under me fairly. Right? And that's how slavery came to be, right? Is that I, I'm going to take advantage of these people who need it and, and advance my own self. 
Right? And so as, as much as this understanding of how are you treating those under you, are you treating them as image bearers of Christ? If you've been put in authority as a Holy Spirit-filled employer, you recognize the chain of command. And you recognize that you aren't the top, that you have a master in heaven. And as a, as a Holy Spirit-filled employer, you recognize that some of the people who report to you may very well be your co-heirs with Christ. They may be your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you're equal under the Father, and yet God has put you in authority. And I think this command to masters, is, as Paul wrote it in Ephesus, the masters in Ephesus probably had a harder time with this than, than employers do today. Right? Because this was so countercultural. Right? Because as employees or slaves, there, there's this understanding that you're under authority and that you have to follow through or, or your job's gone, right? But employers, it's up to them to make the choice to do things correctly. And the second thing for spirit-filled employers is that they're accountable to Christ. They recognize that Christ is their true master. He doesn't show favorites. They recognize that they've been given authority, and their authority doesn't make them superior to those that they oversee. Much in the same way with all of these relationships we're talking about, right? Authority doesn't equal superiority. As Holy Spirit-filled employers, we have to recognize that. And so in all of this, it's not about work, right? It's not, it's not even about our marriage or our family and all of these relationships. It all boils down to this. It's all about our relationship with Jesus. So this whole passage in Ephesians that we've been reading through these past couple weeks, it really is asking this question, does God have control? And we're not talking about like, hey, these are some good ideas. It sounds like a good idea, so I'm going to try a bunch of them and see how it works, it's t- we're talking about total surrender. Jesus, I recognize I can't do any of this on my own. On my own, left to my own devices, I am a mess. I need you. I surrender. Jesus, take over. And when we do that, when we continually surrender, when we continually surrender our life to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to take control, It makes a difference. Our lives begin to look different. The fruit of the Spirit show up in all of our relationships, at work, at home, in friendships and family. And people see it. And as they see it, it brings glory to God. Because when we're Holy Spirit-filled spouses, when we're Holy Spirit-filled parents, when we're Spirit-filled employees or employers, the world around us begins to change because we're changed. And God gets all the glory. Let's pray together as we wrap up our time together. Father, we thank you that it's not about us. And even as we look at at what it means to work and and to go to work and and try to live it out as as a follower of you, God, it's not up to us. Because on our own, we're, we're failures. On our own, we can't do it. We absolutely desperately need you. And so, Jesus, we just pray that, that, that we would learn more and more just what it means to surrender. That we would give control over to you. That we would allow the Holy Spirit to have authority in our lives. And as we do that, 
things would begin to change, that the way that we engage with others would change. And we pray that it would bring glory to you, that your name would be made great, and that other people would, would catch a glimpse of you because they spend a little time with us. We ask this all in your name. Amen.